No shortage of excitement this morning, is there? If you have uh, an outline, I want, to take you, I want you to encourage you to take that out, fill it out this morning. Follow along as we walk through this. I read this last week about, um, you know, when you talk about baptism, it's a very fascinating and, and diverse topic. Uh, when I just read about a couple of young girls that were going to church this last week, and they went to their grandmother's church, which was a Baptist church. Now, they'd never been back to a Baptist church, and while they were at this Baptist church, they witnessed their very first baptism. They were so excited, they came home, and they said to their mom, said, Mom, Mom, Grandma's church has a pool in it. It's right behind the choir. And the pastor got up with this other guy, and he walked over to it, and they went into this pool, and he dunked this, he grabbed this guy by the nose, pushed him down in the water, he said, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the hole you go. Now, they didn't quite understand the significance of what was happening at that point. <laughs> but when it comes to baptism, I find those two little girls are not alone. The reality is there is a lot of confusion when it comes to baptism. For instance, there are those who say if you're going to be saved, you must be baptized. It's called baptismal regeneration. There are those who say it requires baptism in order to be saved. There are those that say, you know, if you're going to be baptized, there's a certain way you have to do it, a certain mode that you have to baptize by immersion, which means going completely under the water. The others say, no, no, no. Uh, they believe what's called aspersion, which means just sprinkling water on the head. The others say, no, 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 that's not it either. It's not immersion, it's not aspersion, it's effusion, which means pouring water on their head. So which one's right? There's a lot more confusion than just that. There are those who have the three-dunk method, and there are those who have the one-dunk method. The three-dunk method says that if you're going to baptize someone, you have to baptize them each time in the name of the Father, back up, in the name of the Son, back up, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and back up. While others say, you know, once is enough. It gets even more confusing. There's some believe in infant baptism, uh, and others don't. Some churches say, you know, if you're going to be a member in this church, you have to be baptized even though you've already been baptized before. A little confusing, isn't it? Some people believe that, you know, if you're going to get baptized, you have to make sure your life is right with God. You have to quit smoking, chewing, all those different things. Make sure your life is right with God. Then you can be baptized. So you can see why there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this whole idea of baptism. So this morning I want to look at five clear statements that God's Word tells us what baptism is. Now, as I was preparing this message, I thought, man, we could spend at least two or three messages on this easily. But I'm hoping that these five simple, clear statements from God's Word will help clear up any kind of confusion that you may have this morning. So there's a twofold process that I'm doing here. One is I want you to understand what baptism is that the Bible talks about, but I'm also preparing your heart for what you're about to witness. Because you're going to witness six different people who have given their life to Christ and are going to be baptized this morning. Now, I want you to join with them in, their under, in your understanding and their understanding of the significance of baptism as God teaches it in his word. So let me give you these five clear statements that the Bible talks about what baptism is according to God's word. First of all, baptism is, a command, is commanded by God for all believers. Let me say that again. Baptism is, a, is commanded by God for all believers. Now, when Jesus before he was ascended into heaven, one of the last things he said is he gave the Great Commission, which we're all familiar with. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus commanded that all believers are to be baptized. 
Why? Because Jesus himself was baptized. He is our perfect example. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Now, why did Jesus get baptized? Because he is our perfect example. And in doing so, we need to follow that example. So he's our perfect example. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John said this in 1 John. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So let me just say this very quickly. Baptism, at its essence, really is a lordship issue. In other words, if you say, I believe in Jesus, he is my Lord and my Savior, then the next logical step would be to obey his commandments, which would be being baptized, because Jesus commanded it. So we're to be baptized because Jesus commanded it. But baptism really is only one of two commandments in the Bible that believers are called to do, or ordinances in the New Testament church. The other one is one that we're very familiar with, is communion. So baptism and communion are two commandments that are given to us in the Bible to do. Both of them are presented in the book of Acts. They're or pardon, presented in the Gospels. They're celebrated in the book of Acts, and they're explained in the epistles. And both of these commandments are outward symbols of an inward obedience to God's word, an inward faith to God. So when you look at the Bible, you find this is not only true in the New Testament, it's also true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were commands that God gave. One was circumcision, the other was Passover. Now what's interesting is this, is that just as there are two commandments in the Old Testament, there are corollaries to that in the New Testament. In other words, the Apostle Paul says this, what circumcision is in the Old Testament is what baptism is in the New Testament. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He said, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature, your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and forgave you of all your sins. So in other words, in the Old Testament, what circumcision is in the Old Testament, baptism is in the New. The same thing is true with communion. What Passover is in the Old Testament is what is communion in the New Testament. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says that Christ is our Passover lamb. So these are commandments that God has given us. So, so in other words, baptism is something that God commands you and I as believers to do. Second, baptism illustrates our new life in Christ. So baptism literally, in a symbolic way, ba uh, illustrates the death, the burial, and the rising again with Christ into a new life. Listen to what the Bible says. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism illustrates a new life that God has made brand new in Christ. The Bible says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That phrase right there, new creature, in the original, kainoskatissis is the word right there. It literally means this. It means a new creation that never existed before you trusted in Christ. Meaning this, that when you trust Christ, listen to this, when you trust Christ, God creates you to be a brand new person that never existed before. 
He doesn't take some of the old and say, you know, that's, we can keep that, get rid of that, and we'll get this, and we're going to mix this with the new, and you're, you're going to be partially old, partially new. He says, no, you're a brand new creature. All the formerly old is gone. Now you're brand new as a new person in Christ. Why? Because that's what baptism symbolizes, the burial, the death, and the resurrection in Christ. In fact, the word baptism literally means to dip under. Uh, we just had a class before this time with uh, us, the people were going to be baptized. I said, do you want to learn a Greek word? They said, yes. I said, okay, baptize. Baptize is a Greek word. It's transliterated from the Greek language, from the word baptizo, which means I baptize, which means to dip under the water, to cleanse. Also, it refers to a newness of life. But this picture of baptism doesn't stop just at a new life in Christ. I'm indebted to Wayne Grudem, theologian who is well respected. He tells us that in the Bible, and he reminds us that the Bible, passing through the waters, reminds us of the waters of God's judgment when he flooded the world or when he drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. He says those who go down into the water are going down into the waters of judgment and death, a death they deserved for their sins. Coming up out of the water reminds us that they're united with Jesus' death and burial and have passed safely through God's judgment by Jesus' saving merits. So what you're going to see in a few minutes are people getting baptized as they go down into those waters. Those are the waters, if you will, passing through God's judgment safely and coming back to a new life safely because of the merits of Jesus Christ and their faith in him alone. It symbolizes passing safely through God's waters of judgment and having our sins washed away and having a brand new life in Christ. You see, it's often the experience of people, and maybe you remember this, that when you came to Christ, there was this inexplicable joy when you said, you know, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior, and I'm going to trust you as my Lord and Savior. And the moment you do that, there's this incredible joy that you feel for the first time, a peace like you've never had before. Oftentimes, people will describe, you know, there's just this guilt and this shame just gone. I've been carrying this heavy load of guilt and shame for so long. For the first time, I feel forgiven. And they experience the power of God and the presence of Christ in their lives for the very first time. And the world begins to look very different. You ever notice that when you come to Christ? I remember that. When I came to Christ, it's like, wow, everything's the same, but it looks very different. The colors look different. The world looks different. Why? Because it wasn't the world that had changed. It was me who had changed. It was you who had changed when you gave your life to Christ. Everything changes. Why? Because the love of God is now in your life. John says in 1 John, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I like this. Someone has likened uh, believing and being baptized like inheriting a throne and being crowned. They said through public ceremony, the already existing reality of a royal privilege is declared, confirmed, celebrated, and formally recognized. So in other words, what we're going to see here today literally are children of God who are going to be crowned, if you will, publicly as his children, children of the king. I like that because that's true. You see, one of the reasons baptisms is done by complete immersion is because it best symbolizes this death, this burial, and this resurrection, a passing from the old life into a new one. In fact, every baptism in the Bible 
Without exception, every baptism Bible is always done by immersion. Now, you might be asking, well, does that mean that you have to be baptized that way? Let me just say this very quickly, that baptism, what's important about baptism is not the mode, do I immerse, do I asperse, do I fuse, <laughs> or how do I do that? God is less concerned about the mode of baptism. He's far more concerned about the meaning of baptism. In other words, what really needs to matter in you, your heart, is that I've trusted Jesus Christ. And that's what it is. So what if you're out in the desert and you couldn't, didn't have any water to baptize somebody? Well, you use what you have. There have been times I've baptized people just by sprinkling because there was no possible way we were going to get them inside a baptismal. And that's okay. So does God really matter? Does it really matter to God about the mode of baptism? Not really. But every baptism in the Bible is always done by complete immersion. I remember as a, as a young child, I was baptized by aspersion. Then when I joined the military and uh, came off active duty, I kept reading the Bible. Jesus was baptized by going in the water. I thought, well, gee, I want to get baptized that same way. So I was baptized by full immersion after that. Did that change me? No. Was God more pleased with me? No, because it already placed my faith in Christ. I understood the meaning of baptism. But I just wanted to follow what the Bible said. That's all. I just wanted to do that. Reminds me of a discussion <laughs> that a Presbyterian pastor had with a Baptist pastor. Now, if you remember, Presbyterians believe in aspersion, sprinkling on the head. Baptists believe in complete immersion. Now, if I step on your toes this morning, just take it all in good kindness, because I'll probably step on your toes. But this Baptist pastor and this Presbyterian were having a discussion with one another, and this Baptist pastor did the best he could to explain as clearly as he could from the Bible why immersion is the only thing the New Testament really teaches. So when he finished, the Presbyterian asked him, he said, well, so does that mean if, if someone is considered, are they considered baptized if they're, if they're immersed all the way up to their chin? And the Baptist pastor said, no. He said, well, are they considered baptized then if they're baptized all the way up to their nose? He said, no. Well, are they considered completely immersed then if they're baptized all the way up to their eyebrows? And the Baptist said, you don't seem to understand. They have to be completely immersed until his head is covered. And the Presbyterian said, well, that's what I've been trying to tell you all along. It's only a little water on top of the head that counts. <laughs> Baptism in the Bible is always by complete immersion. Why? Because that best symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. Third, baptism is only for believers. Baptism is only for believers. I've met a number of people along the way who were baptized as infants. So does that save you if you're baptized as an infant? No. Does the Bible teach infant baptism? No. Now, there are some who try to stretch verses out and say, well, it kind of you know, intimates baptism for infants. It's called pedo-baptism. But the reality is the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach infant baptism. Why? Here's why. The order of baptism always comes after belief. So first there's belief and then there's baptism. On the very first day that Peter the apostle stood up and gave the gospel for the very first time at Pentecost, as he closed his message, he said this, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. 
Notice what he said there, the order, is that first you must repent from your sins, then turn to God, then be baptized. So first it's belief, and then it's baptism. That's the order that is consistent all the way through the entire New Testament. And you don't say anything otherwise at all. So when someone is baptized, it's because they've already placed their faith in Christ. In fact, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to the order of what he just said. He said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, and then baptize them. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, First you baptize, or for, yeah, first you believe, then you're baptized. It's always the order that you find. So genuine believers are baptized according to the biblical order. First they believe, and then they are baptized. So why is this so important? Because baptism is a public declaration of a private and personal faith in Christ. No one can do that for you. If you're sitting here today and you've never personally trusted Jesus Christ, no one can do that for you. Someone has said, and it's been well said many times, that God has no grandchildren. God has no great-grandchildren. He has no great-great-grandchildren. Did you know that? He only has children. Why? Because it has to be your personal faith of turning to Christ and trusting him. That's the only way. So baptism is always a public declaration of a personal faith that no one else can make for you, a personal faith in Christ. Now, some people, I said I was going to step on your toes. I might step on your toes this morning. And if I do, I want you to know I'm doing this in love, but I'm going to step on your toes because I've run into people like this And we're not being fair with ourselves or honest with God. But there are some people who say, you know, I want a personal faith in God, but not a visible faith in God. They're looking for the personal security without uh, without the public witness of God. You ever met somebody like that? Remember I met one, one guy years ago. I said, hey, so what church do you go to? And he turned on me, snarled back, and he said, that's my business. That's private. And I thought, whoa. What astounded me from that was that he was coming from this idea that my faith is private and it's my private matters and it doesn't matter to you. I thought, well, when I read the Bible, your faith is anything but private. It's also public. And if you're ashamed to declare to the world through baptism or your faith in Christ, then there is something wrong with your faith. You're not being honest with yourself or honest with God. You see, all the way through the Bible, it talks about having a personal faith and a public profession of that faith. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. The very next verse, he says this, But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You see, if you're afraid to share your faith with the world around you, then that brings to question the legitimacy of your faith. Is it real or is it not? I love these words of J.I. Packer who said this, perhaps Jesus knew that a faith never publicly expressed had little chance of surviving. Certainly the church throughout history could not have survived unless believers had been willing to go public with their faith, even when it cost them their lives. Wow. You see, to have an inward acceptance without having an outward allegiance 
is disingenuous with a biblical faith. You may have an inward acceptance, but not an outward allegiance. And if you don't, then I want to ask you this question. Have you really given your life to Christ? Or are you just looking for a personal security and you don't want anybody to know about your faith in Him? You see, if you're afraid to publicly declare your faith in Christ, I have just one question for you. If you're afraid to get baptized, I have one question for you. Why? Why? And I've met a number of people along the way who say, you know, I, I've been a believer for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I've never been baptized. Maybe it's because you've never understood what the Bible really teaches. Or is it because you've always wanted a private faith without having a public one? And yet Jesus very clearly commands, baptism is something we do as believers. We publicly express that faith to others. Fourth, baptism does not, will not, cannot, nor ever will save you. Baptism does not save us. I had a conversation with a gentleman some time ago, and the moment I said this to him, he visibly became red in the face and angry. He said, no, you have to be baptized. He believes in what is called baptismal regeneration. And so I said, no. I said, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. <laughs> he said, oh, yes, it does. So I said, no, it doesn't. We could have gone on and on with that. But we didn't go very long. I ended up going back to Scripture and saying, okay, here's what Scripture says. You see, Jesus does say we need to be baptized. It is a step of obedience, but not a requirement of salvation. And that's very important for us to understand. Let me give you a case in point. Case in point is a thief on the cross. Many of us remember when Jesus was dying on the cross. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, it says, when the thief turned to Jesus in faith, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The very next verse, Jesus says this, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Was the thief baptized? No. Was the thief a believer? Yes. Did the thief go to heaven? Absolutely. So I brought this to this man's attention. He said, well, the thief was in the old covenant, and the new covenant had not yet begun. So this was old covenant, meaning this, that in the old covenant, it's not required that you get baptized, but in the new covenant, according to his thinking, you have to be baptized. The problem with his thinking was that he was very mistaken. You see, Jesus' death is what inaugurated the, the new covenant. In other words, his death was what split the old covenant from the new covenant. And what this gentleman mistakenly had done was he assumed, he assumed that the thief died before Jesus, thus placing his death in the old covenant. But had he read his scriptures and looked closely at what the Bible says, he'd have seen in John chapter 19, verses 32 to 33, that in fact Jesus died before the thief died. Meaning that the thief, when he died, died not in the old covenant, but in the new covenant. And he was not baptized. Did he go to heaven? Most assuredly. Jesus said he would. The point is this. Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he was dying on the cross and his arms were out, he hollered out, he said, It is finished to telestai. It is paid in full. Nothing else needs to be done to satisfy God's holy requirement for the sins of mankind. Jesus paid it all on the cross. 
When he said that, nothing else needed to be done. When he died on the cross, he inaugurated the new covenant. Nothing more needed to be done. So the thief did not die under the old covenant. He died under the new covenant. Was he baptized? No. Did he have faith? Yes. Is he in heaven? Absolutely. The point simply is this, is that you do not need to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Now, you should if you can. But since none of you look like you're on a cross right now, and your arms are displayed and you're about to die since you're not there, I would say you still have an opportunity to get baptized, and so therefore you probably should. You see, the Bible clearly teaches again and again, it is belief alone in Christ that saves us. Again and again and again it says this. Jesus repeated this many, many times. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. He didn't say when you get baptized. He said God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not, is not a reward for good things we have done so that no one can boast about it. Could you imagine if you were boasting about your baptism? Oh, yeah, you know, I, when I got baptized, I held my breath for three minutes. You know, um, it's nothing you can boast about before God. Why? Because baptism is not required for salvation, just faith alone in Christ. Let me give you the last point. Baptism ignites God's favor in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead, uh, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now what Paul is talking about in this passage, in Romans chapter 6, he's not talking about the physical baptism, he's talking about something that happens in every believer's life the moment they trust Christ. There is a spiritual baptism that takes place. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You see, before you're physically baptized, a spiritual baptism takes place in your heart when you trust Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. So Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says that when you trust Jesus Christ, you now become a temple of the living God, that God lives in you. Why? Because you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, God, the moment you trusted Christ. That spiritual reality took place before the physical reality of being baptized can ever take place. But here's what I want you to get. A lot of times people will say, well, baptism is merely an outward symbol of an inward commitment or decision that you made in Christ. Now, I don't want to water this down, no pun intended. But the reality is this, is that baptism is not merely a, a, a symbol. It is much more than that. Why? Because obedience to God always ignites the favor of God in our lives. Whenever you obey God and whatever he calls you to do, it always ignites the favor of God in your life. When you do what you know is right before God, there is a joy of the favor of God in your life. Why? Because I'm obeying God. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And the same is true with baptism. It's not just a sterile, uh, symbolic experience. It is an experience that God wants to unite his favor, the joy of who, what you're doing with him in going through the process of baptism. So today you're going to see some tears. 
And they're not going to be tears from the baptismal. They're going to be joyful tears. Why? Because whenever you obey God, he gives you his favor in your life. It strengthens the faith of the person being baptized. Why? Because they get to experientially, so to speak, uh, know what it means to be buried and to rise again into a new life. So today they're going to be buried into the water, passing through God's judgment safely. Why? Because of the merits of Christ. Passing through the water of death and being raised to a new life in Christ. They're going to experience that. And that's going to strengthen their faith. But it's also going to stir and strengthen your faith as well as you watch this. In fact, some of you say, might say, you know, I want to get baptized. I've never been baptized. I'd like to get baptized. Well, not today, but we'll have a time. that If you want to get baptized, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that and love to baptize you as well. Just one prerequisite question, that is, how long can you hold your breath? So baptism ignites God's favor in our lives because obedience to God always ignites the favor of God in our lives. If there was anyone who understood this, it was the great reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther, as you may be familiar with, wrote the entire New Testament in German. It was so significant, his translation, that it literally changed the Germanic language from that time forward. German today is still influenced by Luther's work in the New Testament, translated from Greek and Hebrew. When Luther would go through times of great despair and struggle with whether God loved him or not, he would steady himself by reminding himself with two Latin words, baptismus sum. Baptismus sum. He would repeat that, which simply means this, I have been baptized. And the moment he would recall that moment of obedience to God, he would recover his sense of assurance of God's call and grace in his life. Why? Because Luther understood that obedience to God ignites the favor of God in our lives. So in a few moments, you're going to watch six people come up here, and they're going to publicly by being baptized, declare to you their personal faith in Christ. They're going to experience, if you will, the waters of baptism, and they're going to experience the favor of God. And my prayer is this, is that by you watching this, you also have your own faith strengthened in Christ. But before I even go any further, let me just ask you this. There may be some of you here today that have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And we're talking about baptism. But I'd be remiss if I did not ask you this question. Let me talk to you personally. Have you personally crossed that line of faith and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior in your life? Have you come to him and said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I have need of a Savior. And I know that you're my Savior. I want to ask you to come into my life and be my personal Savior. You see, that's what baptism is all about. It hinges on that. It's a public display of a personal faith. So I'm going to close right now. As we do, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray two things. One, I'm going to ask those of you that have never trusted Christ, I'm going to walk through a prayer. You can share that prayer with me. Because it's God who really hears you. But then we're going to pray for those who are getting baptized as well. All right? 
So let's pray. This morning, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, and I believe that God is working in your heart right now. He's speaking to you personally. Would you come to him in your heart? He hears your heart. He knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your hurts. He knows your wounds. He knows your grief. And he wants to be your Prince of Peace, the great physician in your life, your Savior. Will you come to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you, Lord, to be my Savior. Lord, I believe that you did die on the cross for my sins, that you paid for them all on that cross. And Lord, I have need of your peace and your forgiveness. I have need, Lord, of you to remove this heavy weight of shame and guilt in my life. Let me know your forgiveness. Let me know your love in my life. Let me hear the words like that thief heard on the cross. I assure you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Lord, may we have the assurance through our trust in you that we know where our eternal destination is with you in heaven. So would you just simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, I pray. Forgive me for my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. Show me what it means to walk in both private and public relationship with you living a life of obedience to your call and your love in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we lift up those that are going to be baptized today. Thank you, Lord, for the enormous privilege and honor to share this delight with them. I pray your special blessing on their step of obedience to you today. That, Lord, as they walk through this process of what you've shown us clearly to do in your word, that you would ignite your favor and the joy of that favor in their hearts. And, Lord, may our own faith be stirred and strengthened as we watch. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So at this time, we're going to have our people who are going to be baptized come up here. And while they're doing that, we're going to get the stage set up here for the baptismal. But we're going to have uh, those six who are going to come up. Go ahead and come up here, the six of you. Here, go ahead. I get set here. We'll go this way. Excuse me, Jeremy. So each of the six people that you see stand before you right now. Am I counting five? Oh, Okay. I know I didn't major in math, but but they have committed their lives personally to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. 
I've had the joy of talking with each one of them individually about their faith in Christ and about what we're going to do here in just a few moments. And I've asked them if they would like to share with you why they're getting baptized today. So I'm going to ask Aaron. He's going to share with you today why he's getting baptized. It should be on, yeah. Testing. There we go. <laughs> so pretty much I spent my entire life up until about a month ago uh, running from God and living in the dark. And um, he gave me a couple dreams. I, I liken it to something like Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, I woke up in tears and a cold sweat. It was definitely the most two terrifying dreams I ever had in my entire life. And then um, right after that, I got a hold of the pastor, and we had a discussion, long discussion, through many tears, and I gave my life to Jesus. And that was uh, last month. Uh, hi, my name is Jess. Um, the reason why I'm getting baptized is because uh, I've just been... Uh, really getting more into my faith recently and I gave my life to Christ recently as well and I just saw an opportunity and I knew I needed to take it because I told myself I was going to do it and here I am. Hi, I'm Kathy and I was baptized as a Catholic when I was a child and it's time for me to do it as an adult. And I that's it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Becky. <laughs> and I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I'm doing this because I just want to do what God wants me to do and be so the closest I could get to him. <laughs> and just do what he wants me to do and love him forever and ever. <laughs> So I've asked each one of them as I've talked with them about their personal faith, and some are more comfortable than others to share with you, but I just want to say for all of them, each one of them have personally given their life to Christ. They understand what that means, and each one of them understands what it means to be publicly baptized today. So we're excited to do this, and so I ask them, which order first? And so um, you can only guess who's going to go first, right? <laughs> So we're going to go Becky, and then we're going to go Jackie and Kathy, and then we're going to go Aaron, or pardon me, yeah, Aaron and uh, Jess, and then we're going to go Jeremy. So ja or Becky's going to be first here, so I'm going to have you guys step right over here. Okay, Becky, we've been waiting for a long time, haven't we? All right, all right. Okay, yep, that's fine. That would probably be helpful, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's warm. Is it really? Yeah. That's it's good. Bad. Just a few ice cubes floating around there, that's all. So. <laughs> so. We've been waiting for this for a long time. I don't know if you know Becky's testimony. But uh, God has brought her through a lot, and he has brought her here. And today, 
she is sharing with you through this act of obedience to the Lord, her grateful faith in Christ and her love for him. Yes. So go ahead and grab your note. There you go. So Becky, because of your profession of faith, trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, it really is my honor and privilege to baptize you. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. God is so good. <laughs> God is so good. Is it on? There you go. Definitely water. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Congratulations. <laughs> Kathy? Jackie, that's right. There you go. All right. Jackie, because of your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your desire to follow him as your Lord and Savior, oh, yes. it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One more right here. There you go. There you go. Ready? Go ahead and sit down there. There you go. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. There you go. Congratulations. Now, Kathy. So, Kathy, yes. what a joy to get to know you. Yes. And it really is my privilege and my joy, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. to come this step and to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you, my dear. There you go. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. That's right. 
but congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Aaron? You're great. What an amazing moment, Aaron, because of your faith in Jesus Christ that is so obvious. What a blessing to us as well. It is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, because of your professed faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it really is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jeremy, God has brought you a long ways, and he's brought you here. And because of your obedience and my privilege to be able to do this, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. Tammy, would you come up here? Would you lead us in the song, I Love You, Lord? Totally impromptu. We've got a mic over here if you want. It's a song that I think all of us are probably familiar with, but I think what a great closing song just to say, thank you, Lord, and I love you.
rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for our sins and being the amazing, gracious, merciful Savior you are. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into our lives the moment we trust you as our Lord and Savior. As we leave from here today, I pray that our faith is indeed stirred and strengthened in you. And Lord, may we go into the world today and may the world know and see in us that you are in us, the Prince of Peace our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we walk in your blessings. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.